Welcome to the Across the Spoilerverse podcast. As always, I'm your host, Paul, aka the Pooh Beetle, joined by none other than Greg Alba from Real Rejects. We just want to get straight into it. I think Blue Beetle was a good movie. Greg, you've had a lot of takes on it. You know, you've you've been quite positive about it. Why has it flopped? What's going on? <sighs> I think the DC brand is truly tarnished, man. You know, we've talked about how the Marvel brand seems like that's been getting a little bit damaged here or there, but then it like rebounds with this phenomenal Loki season two trailer. DC, though, on the other hand, it has just been feeling like this is progressively flopping uh, over and over again. Shazam Fear the Gods tanked. The Flash tanked. And then on top of that, too, when you look at the cinema scores for the DC EU films, I mean, Blue Beetle kind of belongs in that weird camp where it could be DCEU slash DCU. The cinema score for this is also a B plus. So most of these movies have been B pluses, I would say. Very few come in at an A cinema score. And when you think about it, the audience reception to it, when they're associated with the DC brand, you know, I'm talking just general audiences as well. They might just not care or have that much emotional investment in it. And this is kind of where I think why James Gunn is really dead set on creating a proper interconnected universe. Because an interconnected universe, this would really come in handy right about now. Because when you look at, you know, what happened with like Marvel Phase 1 through 3, where they were introducing a bunch of characters who most of us didn't really know about or were kind of obscure, a little bit more niche. When you think about like the Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, characters who are not as main name staples, such as like Spider-Man or whatever. The reason people still tuned in is because of the interconnected universe, because it's the Marvel brand. So people still had that faith in it. People still went, okay, we'll still go to the theaters. This is Marvel. We'll go check them out. Whereas obviously when it comes to DC, that connection, that association with the audience is just not uh, not there. And the marketing for this movie didn't do it any favors. They didn't really do it much to really make it seem special or truly stand out. Because, you know, like a last podcast where we were here, I was telling you, like, I got, no, it's actually good, man. It's actually fun. But you were still here saying, ah, it looks kind of generic and predictable and, and a rehash of other things. And, and while it is sort of that still... It still did a good job at being what it wanted to be. It still did a solid installment, but the the push for this film did it no favors from from WB. It's like they they lost all their money on marketing for the Flash. So there's a variety of reasons of why I I think this movie ultimately flopped, which I'm sure you have uh, you have some, some better say than I, Paul, because you are very passionate yeah, about the subject. Obviously, when films, you know, do badly, there's more than one reason. It's never just the one thing that you can pinpoint. And there's lots of things normally going on behind the scenes. Just kind of going back to the thing you talked about before, when you were talking about how interconnected Marvel is, I completely agree. And when I was thinking about this interconnected universe with DC, they don't sort of do it in the same way that Marvel does. Now, they obviously rushed into doing a team-up thing, but since then... A lot of the movies have just been focused on sole characters, whereas something like Civil War, it brings all the Avengers together, but it also pushes Black Panther as well. And, you know, even Ant-Man ha had the Falcon appearing and th these big team-up films, they do sort of help to push the more obscure characters. So you get used to them and you really want to see their films, whereas DC haven't really had that thing where they've mm -hmm. kind of brought, you know, these 
had a big team up movie with all the already established characters and then pushed them. Obviously, you know, the flash that worked on Aquaman and, you know, those characters were in, but since then they've not really had like, you know, birds of prey or, or something to that effect where they've had a big team up thing and it's, it's pushed characters like blue beetle and Shazam. Shazam hasn't interacted with any of the other DC characters other than wonder woman at the end of Shazam too. But I I feel like that could have helped. And, you know, just looking at Blue Beetle's box office. So, in case you're unaware, um, the film so far has grossed 25.4 million, which is a massive, massive underperformer. It was expected to do about 30 million. And to just give you guys a kind of rundown, um, for the next part of the video, I'm just going to go through all of the opening weekends for every DCEU film, so you can kind of get an idea of where it sits amongst those. Now, spoiler alert: it is the lowest one. But yeah, Man of Steel opened to 116 million opening weekend, which you know Warner Brothers didn't like at the time. But I think if they got that now, they'd be they'd be over the moon. Um, BVS then followed that. That did 170 million opening weekend. Obviously, you know, very good, um, very impressive, but wasn't enough for Warner Brothers. Suicide Squad 133.7 million. Wonder Woman 103 million. Justice League, or rather Justice League, 94 million. Aquaman, 72 million. So you can start to see that there's a downward trend here. Shazam, 53.5 million. Birds of Prey, 34 million. Wonder Woman, 84, 16.7 million. I don't feel like we can, you know, blame that too much because it was obviously, you know, during the pandemic in winter and it dropped on HBO Max day day of. Um, That was the same with Suicide Squad, which was 26 million. And Shazam 2 then got 30.5 million. The Flash came in at 55, and Blue Beetle now sits with 25.4. So out of them, it is the lowest performer, even lower than the Suicide Squad, which obviously released on HBO Max day and day. Um, and it was also, you know, a sort of sequel to that that movie that not many people liked. Um, and it is crazy just seeing this complete downward spiral. I'm kind of blown away by it, and. I'm. I just don't understand how Warner Brothers managed to mishandle this so badly. Like, I feel this is going to be studied in future business lessons, where it's like, you know, Marvel had didn't have any characters at all. Really, they had all their C listers, and they built this up. Whereas DC owned absolutely everyone. No, there was no rights from stopping them making any movie that they wanted to, and the only thing that got in the way was themselves. Um, and it's crazy thinking about how badly this has been mishandled because, you know, I, I genuinely liked the movie and the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. I think, you know, it does kind of suffer from being almost, it, it's a copy and paste of lots of other different movies and, and there's nothing in here that really stands out as being truly original, but it's got heart to it. You know, the performances are good. You, you can get on board with the characters. I know they they play they're playing up the whole representation thing and saying it's very important for Latinos, which obviously it is. But even as a white guy from England, can completely relate with the movie. Um, can put myself in the the shoes of them easily and see things from their point of view. Really enjoyed it, um, and I think it's going to be one of those movies that a lot of people are going to come around on and and enjoy. But like you said, you know, it didn't have that push initially. Now going forward with the DCU, we're going to sound like broken records because we talk talk about this every week. But seeing this box office, what do you think is the plan going forward? Will it change? Or rather, 
is Gun going to stick to his guns, puns not intended, and just be like, no, going ahead with the whole plan that was, you know, bringing these characters in. First hero of the DCU. I think Gun is going to stick to his guns on this one. I think he has to stick to his guns on this one because he's. It would just seem Warner Brothers is so reactionary already. Like their reputation has has been that way, and this was already Blue Beetle was done before James Gunn ever stepped into the fold. And so while he's been working on this transitionary process with the old DC regimen to what James Gunn now wants to do, he's been factoring in the storylines as well. So, yeah, I don't think Blue Beetle 2 is going to happen, but I still think Jaime Reyes will ultimately carry on. And I think James Gunn is also the kind of person who would probably be paying attention to what's going on at the MCU right now and noticing kind of the audience reaction to that. And as we were talking about interconnected universes as well, it got me thinking about how, well, one thing about it, it's more than just being interconnected. It was also about having that goal. When you're talking about a team-up movie, it was about what was the goal of what they're all ultimately fighting towards. You know, what was the big bad or, or whatever the case might be. They needed to have some type of through line. That way, the interconnectivity seemed purposeful and meaningful, right? That It's not just about, hey, it's in the same universe. So I think that's what James Gunn is going to want to establish pretty early on. That way we can start getting on board, not just something to rush to like another Justice League or something like that. But if there was that situation with Blue Beetle, if Blue Beetle was lumped into that category where it was headed towards a clear direction for some type of team up or some type of interconnectivity, then I think more people would have been on board for the project itself. But right now, yeah, I think James Gunn is just going to have to... I think he's just going to have to go with what he's got planned. It's it's a really unfortunate situation what's happening right now because he's got everything is really relying on Superman and I guess Creature Commandos, but everything is really relying on Superman Legacy at this point to see if this will be worth anyone's time. I'm kind of worried yeah. about it. I, I I'm really concerned about the DC. I'm concerned about superhero movies in general. If I'm being honest, like this is all just kind of. Uh, yeah, so I'm in the opposite camp. I actually think he will change plans, but he won't have to do much to do it. Um, because if you think about the way that the guys kind of ordered his slate around, there's nothing actually announced in it that is reliant that much on the DCEU. Obviously, you have stuff like Waller, Peacemaker Season 2. But in terms of the projects, you know, the big movies that they've announced, there's nothing carrying across these characters. For example, he's not announced a Flash sequel. He's not announced um, something like Shazam 3 or Blue Beetle yeah. 2. They're all things like Superman Legacy, Batman the Brave and the Bold, which is obviously going to have a new Batman. Even though, you know, we've heard those rumors of Wonder Woman 3 being with Gal Gadot, the Themyscira project that they've announced, that doesn't really need to be tied to her. And I unfortunately feel that they... You know, I've said it time and time again, they just need to hard reboot and, and cut their losses because I, I think that being connected to this universe, it, it's going to drag down the new one because oh, we watch it, we'll be there opening weekend every single time. But when you look at these box office numbers, the audience, they're obviously not there. This, this is a superhero movie that used to be the golden goose in Hollywood. 
a license to print money and the fact that it's not even made its projected earnings, which were very, very low to begin with of $30 million. The fact it's not hit that, that has to be sending warning signs. And I don't know how there's not people in Warner Brothers right now panicking and going, can we just delete that video where you promised that Blue Beetle was going to be the first hero of the DCU? So really really quick. Uh, so what you're saying is that the way he's going to make a change, is, what you think he'll do to make a change is he's going to completely sever all ties, any connection whatsoever to the former DC regiment. You're like any, so what he can like Peacemaker, what he can, you know, Margot Robbie coming back as Harley Quinn. You're, you're thinking that's what he's going to do. Yeah. And that is purely not only from a creative like point of view, but also from a business point of view, because you know, Hollywood people just don't have this $250 million lying around to constantly be, be making superhero movies that bomb. And even when they do lower budget ones like Blue Beetle, if they still don't return the money, then investors are going to panic. And I think it's going to be a very hard sell. So even business-wise, I think they're going to have to really pitch this as, oh, no, it's not connected to that thing that's bombing. It's a brand new universe that we're, we're taking in a new direction. Now, even from a creative point of view, I am genuinely interested in a James Gunn Superman movie. But what I'm not interested in is a James Gunn Superman movie Frankenstein into being connected to this old thing that's sort of canon, but not really because the Flash wiped it. And I think in general, it's going to damage the brand if, if audiences feel like, well, there is sort of a loose backstory that I have to be able to understand and go through to, to get my head around characters like Harley Quinn or um, Peacemaker or someone like that. I think that's going to really drag it down. And I have a theory on what I think happened with Warner Brothers and DC when James Gunn was hired. Now, I can imagine they had these four movies on the shelf. Um, James Gunn came in and was like, look, I want to I reboot this universe. I've got a vision for it. Um, but what we're going to have to do is basically go with my, my thing. And he, what I think happened is that he got brought in by Warner Brothers, told, look, you're going to get full creative control but you have to promote these unreleased movies like they're part of your universe and act. You have to act enthusiastic about them and that'll help mitigate the losses from announcing a reboot. Now, this is why, again, I think nothing from his slate is connected to these movies, um, at least what we know anyway. The chapter one slate doesn't really have anything that you can tie into this. And I think that was done purposely to see how these movies do and kind of leave it open for, oh, if there is a big success, then obviously we want to continue that. And um, the fact that they haven't, I think, spells out that they're not going to go that direction. And, no. and if they do, personally, I, I think it's a bad business move. So they've, they've left the door open for these follow-up characters, but they've not announced them as part of the Chapter 1 slate because doing that will tie them into this old dead universe. And that's not something that investors are going to be excited about. You know, the people running Warner Brothers who are going to have to fire people if a movie does badly, they're not going to be excited about that. And James Gunn in general is probably not going to be excited about his universe being attached to this thing that's not doing very well. Like if you were coming in with a brand new plan, you'd want, you know, the best start for it. And I think coming off something that's not doing very well, it's not going to help out. Um, and I think that the whole enthusiasm thing, Gunn kind of did to his own death like he came out he was very positive about these movies said flash was one of the best comic book films that he's ever seen he said blue beetle was the first hero of the dcu but 
there was also this undercurrent when they were doing pro- the promotion for these films that if you want to see these characters more in the future, you have to go and see them at the movies. And I feel that was spelling out that they could be used as part of the plan, but if they don't do well, then they're not going to be. Um, and I, I think, you know, I've said it time and time again, hard reboot it, please. It just makes the most sense. And it, it is kind of a feel for Gunn because he is in a weird place where the DC brand's been so damaged. There's clearly not the interest there. You know, that there's fans who are heavily invested in the Snyder stuff. Like I, I was, I would happily see another Zack Snyder DC film. And there's fans who hate all that stuff and want it gone. And he's kind of waded into a civil war with his vision. And I think he's unfortunately tried to please everyone where he's like, it will be attached to this old Snyder sort of universe thing, but we're going in a new direction. And, you know, it's a theory, um, but I doubt that they would have hired him without the contractual agreement that you have to push these unreleased movies um, before we start really moving into your stuff. Well, yeah, they they got to make they got to make the money. <laughs> like they already threw down all the money and put it all together. So if he's going to be the head of it and he's going to make an announcement to try to be the savior for it, they got to make their money back on it somehow. Not everything can be a backdoor tax write off. Yeah, and just in general, you know, we know how corporations work. Um, there's things that happen behind the scenes where there's big, massive shit storms going on. Um, but the way that they're handling things, public facing with the PR is everything's fine. It's all going great. We love it here. And that's kind of how guns came across to me. And, you know, they've never really commented on how badly these movies have done. Um, they just seem very positive, very enthusiastic. When you know for a fact behind the scenes, you lose a couple of hundred million dollars on something. There's going to be a lot of talk. And, you know, I've worked in places before, like a pub where I got in trouble because a bottle of wine went missing once and I had nothing to do with it. Uh, but the, the the managers were like, we're going to inspect everyone's bags. And yeah, for them to freak out over that, you know, a corporation upscale is going to go mental. And I made it sound like I'd stolen the bottle of wine there, guys. I hadn't. They, they searched my bag and found nothing. But it was just one, one of those things where, uh, yeah, you know you know what happens and, and stuff goes missing. And for, for that little money, you know, a three pound bottle of wine or whatever, you, you, you scale that up to $100 million. The corporation, they're going to go bloody, bloody mental. Um, and, and I just feel in general, sever this whole thing, you know, start afresh and give us some time out. Even Aquaman 2, we, we've still got to sit through that. There's some, there's one more shit sandwich to swallow. And then, uh, yeah, I think you should start again. Well, this sounds, honestly, everything just kind of needs to go back to the most simple basics. And this is easy. This is a tall order to ask, but it's also, it's also what they just need to do. They need. It's going to sound like so so stupid, but I'm just going to say it. They need like consistently great films. I think at least three great consistent films in a row that reach a great audience appeal at the same time. I know that sounds incredibly broad, incredibly general, but that is pretty much what. James Gunn's universe needs starting off with Superman legacy. And I don't, I honestly forgot the the rest of the release date slate that comes after that, but app from Superman legacy and whatever the next two films, I believe, I, I believe in the rule of three. And I think that after Superman legacy, whatever two follow, those need to have great audience appeal 
and they need to be great films. They just have to be great in order to change the audience's mindset around what DC films are like. Because I know we've been here on this podcast before and we've talked extensively about how we love the standalones like Joker. We love the standalones like the Batman. But those names are are so big already. They they can handle a standalone, you know? So as much as we love the idea of like the DC Elseworlds, as much as we love the idea of doing a little bit more of these standalones, what really needs to happen right now is brand repair when it comes to people knowing it's the DC name associated with it. I think we can, audiences can separate themselves when it's something like a Joker, when it's something like the Batman or whatever. And I know Blue Beetle wasn't really relying on interconnectivity, but right now what DC really needs more than anything else is just to change its image. <laughs> like the image repair is the is the number one concern. So as, as simplistic as it sounds, yeah, they just need some truly great films that audiences can connect to. It's it's that simple. Yeah, and just kind of going back to the the earliest point again. Oh bloody hell, Alexa's talking. Um, so we, we talked about how different heroes were being ushered into certain movies and introduced there and then spun off into their own thing. I've just been thinking about it, and that's what James Gunn's actually doing with Superman Legacy. So we're obviously getting Green Lantern. We're getting members of the JSA in it. And I think, you know, if, if that film performs well and they can kind of branch out with that and make other movies off to the side, which I think is the, the best way to go. Um, And, you know, Ethan, I think everything's just uh, been a weird mess behind the scenes with DC to the point that it's bled through and the drama is very apparent when you watch these movies or read reports or listen to podcasts where two smarmy guys talk about it. Um, I actually think that Blue Beetle was so good that they could have waited until Superman Legacy released and then dropped it, held off a couple of years, um, let the universe build up instead of sending it out in a weird place where everything's kind of in flux because when you think about it it, it's sort of been marketed as a standalone movie where you don't need to go see the other dc films to enjoy it but it's also kind of tied to this dying universe whilst also being part of this new dcu universe and i feel like it's in a state of yeah and exactly and i feel like it's in a state of flux where it just got dropped at a really bad time and because of that, it, it suffered at the box office. I, I, but I think you need to worry when you're actually making good films and they're not making money and it's doing it consistently. And it does make me wonder, um, we've talked about this before, at what point did DC just cut the cord and stop it? Because, you know, looking at the numbers, they've had seven films in a row that have flopped and underperformed. Can How many more films can they go on connected to this universe before it finally sinks in and it hits them on the head like you need to just stop this universe because it's never making money. You're just constantly burning cash and you're sending these heroes to die that could be used in a new thing, but now they're going to be burned because it's going to be difficult to use Shazam again. Um, if you recast them, it's going to be the same with Black Adam or even Blue Beetle. They're going to have difficulty because they've sent these heroes out to die and basically take the hit whilst they start this new universe. So, yeah, I feel like just cut the cord, say, once Aquaman 2 is out of the way, you know, after the Snyder Cut released, they, the Warner Brothers execs put out an interview saying it was a cul-de-sac to nowhere. 
just do something like that. Say, oh, we we reflected on the box office performances. We think Superman Legacy is a great starting point for a new universe. And going forward, this will be the brand new thing. You don't need to know any of the other stuff because it's not connected to that. It's a brand new Superman story. And a couple of years after that, you're getting Batman, Wonder Woman. We're building up something new. James Gunn's at the helm. And yeah, we're, we're very confident where it's going. And we think the audience is going to love it. And this is probably going to be a time where Marvel's sort of maybe on the back foot a bit because we can s- sort of see that coming in at the moment. And I just feel like, yeah, now's the, now's the time to just get Aquaman 2 out of the way. They're not, they're not going to announce anything before that. But what, once that's out, just say, okay, it's over. We're starting it again. They need a, a clear break. They need a, po- like a positive yeah. clarif- clarifying time gap so that way you need to have like a breakup period is what i'm saying because i think sometimes when you're releasing these so close together and it's like you can do aquaman too and then if they release i don't i don't even know what the time frame would be for superman legacy for it to properly feel like okay now now we're in restart territory like a year might even be too soon i feel like a two to three year as yes. As panic fraught situation as that might be, I think like a two to three year break. That way, you really get some clear distance. That way, we can know we're that way. The world five. knows we're starting fresh. You say five years? Yeah. Wow, that's a long time. I would say even, five. Even my chest kind of tightened at the thought of that. Five years. Five years. Wow. If it saves them hundreds of millions of dollars and gets some distance between it, you know, it's going to be worth it in the long run. Yeah. One of the big debates that's been going around for, for, say, about the last year and a half is whether superhero movie fatigue is a thing. And, you know, I've been thinking about this over the weekend. And I think, yes, I, I, I think it is real. But that comes with the caveat that everything eventually gets to a point of fatigue once it becomes oversaturated. Um, <laughs> and, and you can, you can bet... The next big thing after superhero movies, this will have the exact same thing happen to it as well. Um, and what studios basically do is that they see a genre they can milk and do it until it's dry and then move on to the next thing. The The process and the way that things tend to go, and obviously Westerns is the example that always gets brought up, but I guarantee this will happen with the next big thing like video game adaptations or whatever, is that you know Hollywood will do that. General audiences will get bored once stuff becomes the norm and they just keep seeing these tropes over and over again. And then they'll then move on to the next thing that becomes popular. Hollywood then will then, you know, milk that dry and rinse and repeat. Now, I think in the case of Westerns, there there will still be comic book movies, but I doubt we're going to get the amount that we used to, especially yearly going forward. And so I, I feel like, you know, superhero movie fatigue is actually a thing. I know the, the thing is always like, you know, it's good movie fatigue and bad movie fatigue or whatever. But I think you just can't keep doing something over and over and over again and expecting people to still be enthusiastic about it. Um, to me, I, I think the studios, they just saw this stuff was printing money and didn't put the effort in that they should have. And it, it eventually just, you know, made the the genre as a whole feel like it was becoming tired and repetitive um most people because of that you know once something gets mundane and and they get bored of it instead of spending money on it they're they're just going to wait and and let it go to streaming and it just feels like we've kind of hit that point where you're getting all the sort of characters who you know are are doing them the more repetitive things like the, the trailer 
for Blue Beetle didn't stand out and really do anything that felt like it was a reinvention of the genre in say the way that this something like Across the Spider-Verse did, which, you know, did well. So I feel like those kind of movies are going to be, they're going to die out. And what we're going to see is the more auto driven superhero ones or ones that take risks and show us things that we haven't really seen before. You know, that there's the saying quality of a quantity and that's a saying for a reason, Greg. And I feel like we're hitting that point where there's so much of it that ultimately everything's going to suffer because it's just, you know, people know what to expect and they're getting bored of it. And again, it's not necessarily this is an attack on superhero movies. For example, music genres. I mean, how, you, you can literally look back through time and see how every decade had its own music genre that really encapsulated that that decade. And, and people were listening to all the songs and getting involved in the music. And then the next decade, you know, people get a bit bored of that, and then something new and fresh comes along. It's the same with computer games. You know, you had side scrollers, and then first person shooters yeah. became a big thing, and Grand Theft Auto clones, and whatever. What Hollywood or any kind of industry will always see something that's popular. That'll become what they think is a golden goose to make as much money as possible from. They'll make so much of that product and then eventually it'll hit a point where people just aren't interested because they've seen it so many times before. And I think, you know, this is a process that's going to go on and on forever. And if you look back in the past, it's happened there. And unfortunately, we are seeing this with superhero movies. And yeah, obviously this Blue Beetle box office kind of speaks to everything as a whole, I feel. It's not just because it's a bad movie, because I don't believe it is. I think it's systemic of what's going on in the industry right now and where the state of everything is and where it's going to go in the future i i think what superhero genre has i think the word superhero genre has to kind of be eliminated a little bit in order for this in order for superhero films to thrive i kind of liken it to I, i don't really know what the language would be for this the way how there was there was a time where with anime where it was always sort of lumped into the same category. Every anime property was just, oh, I don't watch anime. I don't watch anime because everyone kind of associated all anime sort of being the same thing. But when you look at anime and the the countless properties they have, there's so many different distinct genres that you can't just associate all anime as being the same. And right now, superhero films they're kind of lumped. I know that we can distinguish the differences and people who are listening to this can distinguish the differences and whatnot. I think though, there is a message that's kind of conveyed where the superhero umbrella is all kind of the same thing. And I feel like, yeah, there's a bit of a formula that studios often repeat. And even blue beetle is pretty guilty of that to, to in, in a lot of ways of repeating other superhero films. And I think superhero movies, they kind of have to go down what, what anime to me sort of is where it's not all the same, that there is a lot of, you don't even have to call it like reinvention of the wheel. Like it's just a, I I really don't know what the language is for it. It's that there's so many different kinds of anime properties out there that they are, a lot of them are very much distinguishable from each other that you don't just compare them only because they're anime properties, you know? And I think superhero films, they have to sort of embrace that as well instead of it just being the same type of formula. Do you kind of get what I'm saying with that? I I, I feel like yeah. that's the direction 
that category needs to go. Yeah. So anime is something like that a, just popped an, into my head whole right genre. now. Genre. Yeah, it's like a whole genre unto itself, but obviously it has these divisions within it. But there's people who just view it as this one thing that's sort of filled with tropes and in the same yeah. way that superhero movies are viewed like that. When obviously we know there's lots of distinctive ones and completely different takes on them. I I guess superhero films should be a they should be a medium, not a genre. I guess is what it should be. You know? Yeah, yeah that yeah. makes sense. Um so yeah, what I was gonna say there was Dracula, but back in the day in the 70s, there were tons and tons of Dracula movies all the time. Um, the guy was printing money, was living it up in Transylvania, but stuff like the voyage of the Dem- Demeter, um, yeah. bombed completely, bombed, and it just yeah. shows how a character can be, you know, very popular or a genre like vampire movies, very, very popular at one point. Um, but they get done to death, pun not intended. And yeah, it, it just kind of hits a point where the general audience stop caring about them. And unfortunately, you know, the, this box office, I think it's it's something that's across the board if you look at the secret invasion figures. And yeah, it sucks because, I mean, I'm a massive comic book fan and I really thrived on the, the popularity that the genre took on. But unfortunately, you know, once something... It's inevitable once something gets commercialized and turned into a commodity by a studio that don't really understand it. Like, I doubt David Zaslav knows anything about comic book movies. And you know, when when fans on Twitter or something are kicking off, like, why don't they just do this with a character? And why don't they just do this? It's because the people in control don't actually know what you know about it. Then they're not, yeah. David Zaslav ain't reading comics. He's got no idea. He'll just like see a name or hear a name and be like oh well it's a superhero movie so yeah, yeah. M- makes money push push him and and make that um so yeah i think that's kind of where things are at and unfortunately we've hit a point where it's probably gonna quiet down for a bit and then i can imagine that you know 20 to 30 years time maybe the fans who are, are the kids now once they're older and they hit a certain age they'll be the filmmakers and they'll gain control of it again and it'll go from there. And you know what? I, I miss I miss graphic novel adaptations. I feel like we don't get enough of those. You know, I remember like Road to Perdition, A History of Violence. Th- those, are, those are like, that's cinema. <laughs> that is like pure cinema. And they're based off of graphic novels. And I, I don't see a risk. I mean, I know they're not as popular and you can't franchise them anywhere near as much, but I think that is a good direction to sort of revisit as a possibility because that was really brought some great film gems to life. I think, I mean, those are the only two that are really coming. wanted is based on a graphic novel. Kick-ass is graphic novel. Um, but yeah, I, I, I wish they could do some graphic novel adaptations again. Because, and I, th- I think uh, I think David Fincher's adapting one actually this year or next year. I think it's called The Killer or something like that. And a lot of the time they weren't even pushed as like graphic novel exactly. adaptations. It was just like, you know, if you looked into it, you'd often find it out. But I mean, there's, there was so many films back in the day that I didn't even realize were comic book movies. And then I'd find yeah. out that they were based on graphic novels. But it was sort of like a dirty word back then. And you just didn't push it as that. <laughs> yeah. Whereas now, if they were released today... It'd be like, oh, it's based on a comic book, really best-selling comic book of all time. Um, so yeah, the industry's obviously in a weird place. As 
you know, people who cover this genre. How how are you feeling about it, Greg? I'm feeling a little bit, um, I guess, a, a little bit dejected. Obviously, um, I, I'm I'm not as enthusiastic as as I once was. It's kind of crazy, you know. Like the the, the living that you and I make, is so so much of it has been off of being excited and, and be and, and we will be po- like blue beetle came out it flopped yeah but we were both really positive about the film you know so it's depending per property spider-man across the spider-verse we were both extremely positive about that you know like it, it depends per property and i i get it is kind of weird it's the it's the genre that can have me a little bit tired but still when it comes to whatever the the individual property is i'll go in with an open mind and I look forward to it with enthusiasm before I start watching it, you know, but actually, you know what? I don't even know if that's the right word for it, enthusiasm, because I still I do notice now whenever I go to watch one of these movies, it's not the same level of anticipation or hype that I once had, you know, like no matter what it is, Marvel or DC or sometimes even the, the shows now, it's just like. It's another one of the things I'm I'm about to watch. It's another thing. But where before there was kind of this, you know, alertness. I would say <laughs> like this anticipation. I'm like on the edge of my seat. I'm focused, and that has sort of withered away. And I'm I want to kind of get back to that. Like I had more of that feeling of that of my brain being activated that way when I watched something like Oppenheimer, but not not a superhero film. And I, I miss that feeling. Yeah. I did kind of have that before Across the Spider-Verse played. I, I, I will say when, when that actually started playing, I did have that. But now it, now it is just a very, it feels so casual now, you know? And I, I, miss, the, I miss the heavy anticipation. Uh, and, and instead of being a little bit lackadaisical about the whole experience, you know? I think just in general, once something becomes commonplace, you obviously don't get the buzz for it that you used to have. It's the same with relationships. Um, you know, that yeah. first year with your girlfriend's going to be totally different to how year 15 is. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, I, I can vividly remember waking up for the finale of WandaVision and just being absolutely pumped and ecstatic yeah. and just on a high the whole day working away you know it was very yeah. intense work wise but i just loved it the whole time and then you know we we've i've probably done your head in the last couple of days but i've been looking back at the channel analytics and out of my top 30 viewed videos from the last year there were only two marvel videos in there and no star wars videos which was i mm-hmm. i couldn't believe it because i kind of feel like i've got the reputation of being a, a marvel and star wars channel but then seeing that it was like oh, well, I guess maybe I'm not anymore. Um, And I I have kind of taken things in a different direction going with the classic movie breakdowns. And I was looking at the analytics just before we started. And my last 15 videos, in the most highest viewed videos on my channel in the last 48 hours have all been classic movie breakdowns. And it's kind of hit a point now where I'm actually enjoying going back to that more. And it's nice when you're doing this thing and you actually choose a direction to go in and it works. Yeah. And that's kind of where I'm at at the moment where I'm just kind of, I I mean, I, I I am really enthusiastic about comic book movies still, but I I feel like I need to just take a step back, you know, take a break, get excited for them again, and then go back into it. Um, which I'm hoping happens in, in the build up to secret wars, 
hoping Loki wins me back around. I'm very excited for that. Um, but there is a, a Star Wars show that's coming this week. Obviously, we've got to see the first two episodes by the time this video goes out. It's just about to release. Um, the reviews will now be online. We haven't seen them as of making this. But Greg, what are your thoughts on Ahsoka? Can we re-record this depending on what the reviews are? You know, if they're well, like I'm going to re- re-record it if the check comes through. If, okay, I'm still waiting on the check from Disney. They haven't they haven't actually posted it this week, so I'm getting a bit. I'm I'm going to start slagging the show off in a second if it doesn't, doesn't come for free in a second. I mean, if we have to do two versions of this, I'm I'm willing to commit the time to it because <laughs> you know we we got to be in tune with the audience and and our money. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, I, I I was messaging you yesterday. I I saw the first episode, and I loved it. You know, I, I've seen Rebels, I've seen Clone Wars, and I loved it. I did, I, I really did. And I, I was curious. I did watch it with my buddy John, who has not seen Rebels, and he was able to keep up with it because it was kind of a bit of that John Wick effect, where there's a lot of alluding and hinting at history without sometimes explicitly laying it out, but sometimes not so clearly laying it out. So he wasn't lost on it. And I was especially able to keep up with it. And I love that first episode. I, I love the aura it struck. I love the tone that it struck. And the visuals are some of the, like, it, to me, the visuals are phenomenal. The music is sensational. I think the music is absolutely incredible. Uh, this great, it's like a great harrowing blend of classic Star Wars. It's the same guy who did Rebels and... Uh, there's, there's a lot of like dread. It's a percolating build to it throughout. The individual performances are all good, and uh, yeah, I mean, like I think everything on a technical level is really great and and, and exceeds Mandalorian season three for me so far, uh, like already. And okay. I thought it was great. And then the second episode started to present to me some of the worry that I might have for the show, which is. Like, I love how serious the show is. I love how serious it is. At the same time, it it feels a little bit emotionally detached. It feels a little bit too cold and distant for me at times to the point where I, I'm I'm really enjoying the observation experience I'm having of the of this of the show. At the same time, I'm not as emotionally pulled into the characters which is kind of weird because i love the tone and i i love the mood i I like there's there's a lot of things emotionally outside of the characters just in the ether of the experience that i'm really connected to but there's so much stoicism like everyone is very stoic and it's kind of interesting to to see that a lot of people have been saying it's just like it's like rebel season five is a lot a lot of people have been saying I wouldn't say that they are carrying the characters over from there. And it's certainly a continuation of the rebel story, but it's kind of got that. (laughs) I didn't even say this in my video, but it it, kind of, you know, when you see a YouTube video, that's like, we're going to do a super, I want to, here's my super serious adult version of rebels. (laughs) That's kind of what they're doing here where everyone is so serious (laughs) and it's so, 
it's so dr- dramatically heavy that I, I actually feel that the, the coldness of it kind of keeps me at a distance of truly connecting with the characters, you know, and it's not even about, to me, it's not even about um, how accurate is the portrayal of what they were like in the animated version. It's not even about that to me. Like I'm able to distance from it for myself because I really liked I, I like Rebels, but there's a lot of Rebels I don't care for. There's so much of Rebels I don't care for. But when Rebels is great, Rebels is really great. So I'm by no means this Rebels purist. So it's nothing of a comparison for me. But the show itself, you know, like like Ahsoka Tano, I, I think is so excellent in that Mandalorian episode, um, episode four of season two. And her presence, that grace that she has. Five. Is, is it Five. Oh yeah, messed it up. I think so, yeah. You, you, you asshole. Look at you, look at you like a little cocky little smirk on you. Five, you dumbass. <laughs> five. <laughs> um, episode five, yeah. That, I thought that was a great like backdoor pilot for her, but at the end of the day, like even though she led the episode, she's still a supporting character in that show, in the, in that episode. And here in the lead, it's like, well, she is not she's kind of just so she she is like super stoic, you know? And and so it's not exactly the most compelling lead. And a lot of people I saw in the early reactions are citing Sabine Wren. And I I guess my I, I haven't really made up my mind yet on like I love the first episode. The second episode presented this worry for me of like, will I will I truly be emotionally invested by the time we get to the end journey? But I will say the stuff they are setting up without spoiling stuff what excites me about what they're setting up is stakes in a situation that is not just like oh we're building to the creation of the first order like it doesn't even seem like it's concerned with that you know they're building to something very different that i think can be unique and exciting for the star wars universe so yeah yeah that's that's kind of my one my one main qualm with it is I'm just having a hard time truly connecting with the emotional centerpiece of the of the actual character storytelling. Yeah, so I actually um I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I, I would push it a bit further and say that I was I was quite disappointed in it, to be honest. Um and it might really? be because I was so close to Rebels. So I actually I've been doing a big Rebels re- rewatch and I actually finished episode four the second the screen like sorry, I actually finished the finale of season four. Oh, the season. second that the screeners came in. So I literally finished Rebels and then started watching Ahsoka. But I didn't mean to. It was it was just the timing of it. It was literally just, uh, I, I'd been working through this for months and months. <laughs> and then as if fate should have it, you know, sometimes I get comments on my videos like, I finished watching 2001 randomly out the blue and then you uploaded a video on it. It was like that. And yeah, so that came in. So I just thought, I'm going to put it on, watch it. And I feel like, you know, a lot of what Lucasfilm does is that they'll take a, a character who has a very happy ending and they'll then bring them back and start yeah. them off depressed and in yeah. a complete opposite situation yeah. to where we left them. Now, that's the case with Luke Skywalker. That's the yeah. case with Indiana Jones. It's all Han Solo. You know, it's also the case with every character in this show. And yes. I, 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 I'm... I've, I might be spoiling it slightly, but this was in the trailer, so I don't feel like it's fully giving things away. But obviously, if you've watched the trailer, you'll know there's a shot-for-shot remake of the ending of Rebels where Sabine touches Ezra's mural and then turns around to see Ahsoka standing there. 
Now that happens again. Um, and it's kind of them being like, all right, well, we're going to go find Ezra and Thrawn now. But it takes two hours to get there. And I feel like they've manufactured this drama off screen to kind of put them in an opposite place and then have it so they eventually get to the point that you know it's going to go, where they're going to decide to team up again and then go out and basically complete the mission that they said they were going to do at the end of Rebels, which I feel like they should have just hit the ground running and started there, and that would have really done it. Now, I'm not saying that in general, you know, movies where where you you pick up with a character and they're in a bad place it is a bad thing to do um but it, i feel like it should have been handled on screen and a lot of time what lucasfilm does again indiana jones luke skywalker they do it yeah. off screen and then you just pick pick up with them and they're all shitty great example of how to do it right the dark knight rises to you know Bruce Wayne in that he he's ex- he, he's basically the the same as Indiana Jones and Luke where you you meet up with him and he he's crappy and he decides to get back on the horse but the ending of the Dark Knight the Dark you Knight. can completely yeah. yeah you can completely yeah. understand how he got exactly. to that point whereas exactly. in the case of Lucasfilm they end it with, with the character being happy and then on the next one it's like oh well in between you didn't see it but uh, oh everything went yeah. to hell. So I feel like that's that got repetitive, and I was just sitting there for those two hours, thinking, "When are we getting to the point that it's going to be back where we were? We were at the end of Rebels." And yeah. I completely agree with your your takes on them feeling stoic, and you know, Hera to me feels like a completely different character. Um, yeah. She's yeah. not the happy, bubbly person she was in Rebels at all. Don't know why. You know, she's had a son, obviously, in the in at the end of the the series. Um, She's kind of very distant and not really that happy. It's a, it's the same with Ahsoka and Sabine. Um, I, I am funny, kind of zogging on it a bit. I, I think it's funny bringing that up because we weren't even talking about the subject, but one of the things I did message you yesterday was like, I think the only real joy after defeating the Empire is from, I don't want to spoil where, but I, I, I had this like one, one sentence I said to you because I, yeah, I have the same thought as you. It was like, Rebels ends in like this is take even if you haven't seen Rebels, this is taking place after the defeat of the Empire, you know, and, and all this stuff. Like this should be, and ev- everyone is still in like this really. It kind it kind of make it does make sense for Sabine if you I think if you factor in because they haven't they don't answer it yet in the first two episodes, right? But um yeah. the the like sure her family is mandalorian you know she's got clan wren and and maybe your breakdown will will answer it so maybe that's factoring into a lot more of of her mood other outside of ezra looking for ezra bridger but yeah no there is there is that thing where like everyone is so serious and sad now again it is a funny observation yeah I feel there's good parts too, and I think um the new jedi characters you know the dark jedi whenever they're on screen I think the show excels. Um, the yeah, yeah. Well, it's weird with the way we're releasing this because it's obviously you know most of you will watch this after the show releases, um, but we're actually releasing it beforehand. So the people that do see this before, I don't want to spoil it too much, but they they really start off the first episode with these guys and they just show you like these they they mean business and they also end the first episode with them and. You really get the feeling that these guys are are something else. You know, these these shows sometimes have difficulty having you know villains that you really get attached to. For example, you know Moff Gideon. We all we all love him, 
But when you look at how much he was actually in those shows, he popped about the end of episode eight of season one, wasn't really in that much of season two. Season three was a complete mystery until like the last couple of episodes, whereas these are villains from the start and you can instantly see like, yeah. you know, the, these guys are people like, they're, they're, I think they're going to be the talk of um, the, the series. And unfortunately, you know, Ray passed away before he got to see this, which it, it does add like a dour note to the series because you're watching it thinking he's completely killed it. And unfortunately, he's never going to receive the love that he would have if he'd seen this released to the public. Yeah. So, you know, it's got that side to it. But we, we are kind of dogging on it a bit. It is early days, but I don't feel like it's the home run that's going to save Star Wars, at least of oh these God. first two episodes. And at the end of I it, mean, I was... I could completely see why they released two at once. I just felt like, yeah, it's it's fine, but it's not it's not a, ho- a home run yet. I I I, th- I think I'm definitely more, I definitely lean more positive than 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 you want because yeah, there's just so much about the 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 visual language and again the or these the atmosphere of the show that I I really do love. I really do love it. Um, and yeah, that's a great point about they. They, I think they revealed his name, Balin. Uh, he's he, excellent. Yeah, the presence they have so good. Their presence striking. Like every time they're on screen, and this, I think this show is truly elevated by its amazing score. I, I could be. I, I don't feel like you really talked about it, and, and I, I really think like there's such a variety to the score <laughs> that I think truly stands out. And uh, they show uh, Hu Yang in the trailers, and uh, I think. He's good too. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of cool. The action's okay. The action hasn't been like the most impressive yet, but I'm I'm waiting to see it. It's like adapting Ahsoka into. I I, I liked her action more in episode five of season two <laughs> more than uh, I've liked the action that we've seen so far in the Ahsoka series of her uh, because of the way that was captured, where she was like a mysterious samurai warrior that everyone was afraid of. You know, like that. That was really effective. Yeah. And this show does carry does continue to carry on those samurai western uh tones that I like. I like a lot. Yeah, there, there's a lot of just aesthetic things that I, that I I personally are very subjective towards my liking that that do bring a big smile to my face. So yeah, I'm just saying all this in case uh, it, my check does actually clear. So, you know, I'm just making yeah. making sure. I'm just making sure. Yeah. So yeah, I think, you know. We're not completely down on it as as down as we might sound, but I mean, it's always difficult being critics and seeing everyone sharing something with praise and you know that you're trying to be the one who's like coming out and being like, oh, well, you know, am I? Because you you do have doubts within yourself and think, am I in the wrong when there's so many people who like it? But just being completely honest, um, and maybe I was too close to Rebels off the back of it, but tonally I just don't feel like it was like a charismatic grab me made me feel fun again about star wars bear in mind i've also just done a big breakdown of a new hope lots of fun excitement in that and i don't feel like that tone carried across to this it might be good you know it i would still say it's solid i just don't think it's like i said i don't think it's a home run um but obviously you know you guys are free are you saying it is I'm enjoying it more than, I mean, granted, it's only two episodes, but 
so far the appeal of of these two i'm liking more i'm like oh i could see my i'm like i'm I'm liking it more than mando season three um those first two yeah i mean i I remember like the second episode of mando season three but that first episode of mando season three i was like something's off (laughs) i remember really feeling something's really off with this season i don't know what it is i know i remember like that was the thing we disagreed on was like you like that first episode and i was like i don't know about this yeah um but yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm hopeful. I, I am hopeful, but yeah, I, I think people should prepare themselves for, it's, it's like, I know it's so easy to hear what we're saying and go, Oh, what you thought Mando season three or something was too goofy. And now you're saying, what this is too serious. I'm like, no, it's not, that's not what we're saying there. You're over. It, people might, will might oversimplify our opinion here. Um, it, it's really just about the uh, emotional connection to the, the way the, the characters are written. I think that's what it really, I think when we boil down what we're both saying, I think a lot of it really comes down to that. It's really not the, pl- there's nothing really wrong with the plot. Like the plot is good. Like every, and the mystery is good. Like everything's good uh, all around. It's, it's really just the, it's, it's really, ju- and, and it's not even like the, I wouldn't even necessarily say the characters are weak. There, there is a lack of chemistry amongst ensemble though. That, yeah. The, but with the, with, with Ray and, and, um, and uh, the, uh, the the girl, <laughs> I'm trying to like really watch my words here. Uh, <laughs> Ray and her, uh, like there's there even though like there's a lot of quietness between them, and it's mainly just visuals and body language between them. Like I feel the chemistry between them. Uh, I do think though, like yeah, there, for it being an ensemble show, you do need that chemistry, and and I think especially if you're much as a, a much of a rebels lover, I think I could see it going either way. I could see people being so excited just to see the fact that their Rebels characters are being brought to the big screen or brought to live action. I could see it being that, or I could see it being exactly what you're saying. You know, like this is nothing like how I remember them being because their personalities, I like I, the performances are good, like individually, but yeah, they don't really reflect the animated portrayals to me even for you as well like they don't really reflect what what we probably grew to know of. i think zeb in uh in in that man in the mando episode was a little more accurate but then but then they also got yeah. blunt to reprise it so yeah i mean we'll see obviously we're going to cover the show week to week we've kind of flipped and reversed roles because it used to be me getting up after a full night's sleep, getting to cover this stuff, and now they've announced that the yeah. times are changing, um, which is, you know, it's it's bad for me. Uh, I'm gonna be honest; that was like the one ah. advantage we had. Ah. But we're not. When I'm not getting up early for it, yeah, I decided I'm not getting up early for this show. I just thought oh, I'll just get up and do whenever, because then I'm not having to convince my editors every week to be like, "Oh, you guys should really, you sure you don't want to get up at three a.m. to work on a video?" Um. So yeah, it's it's weak. We're just gonna see how it goes. Um and yeah, that's kind of kind of where stuff's at at the moment. Now we've hit the hour mark, Greg. Is there anything that I feel like we've done an alright job of talking about stuff? Speaking on Ahsoka is very difficult because obviously we don't want to do spoilers, so we can't pinpoint certain points that we had problems with. But yeah, you guys let us know. And now on to our final story, which is if you've been, if you've been paying attention to all the legal stuff in Hollywood, you might have noticed that there's lots of lawsuits going around, and yeah, mm-hmm. TSG and a couple of other companies are, are suing studios. The the big talk of the town at the moment is TSG versus Disney, 
who are taking them to court are uh, apparently doing some creative accounting and not paying them any money that that they deserved. So what happened was, from what I learned, was TSG basically invested in a lot of different Fox franchises uh, and films. Now, if you don't know who TSG are, you'll know their logo. It's... There's basically a guy with a bow and arrow, lets it go, it flies through some axe heads, and then stops at the end. So they put lots of money into films. Um, they were promised certain returns if the, the budgets got to a certain point. And this was all under 20th Century Fox. But Disney then bought them, and suddenly, you know, the money it went a bit... It didn't really materialize. Now, obviously, with the strikes going on, a lot of companies are kind of looking in their books and seeing where where can we actually get some money from because it's, it's going to be quite a hard year coming up where because so many things have been delayed and what they did was they brought in some auditors to look over these 100 films to make sure that everything had been paid out fairly and they were getting the money that they were promised um the auditors found that in all three so the, the auditors basically took three films as examples and looked into that now if the if there hadn't been any discrepancies in any of those three films, it would have been absolutely fine. If there'd been one, they might have thought, mm, maybe it's a bit off with that. We, we could look a bit deeper, but we might not. You know, two start to become a problem, and three, which is what they found problems in, all three films that they looked into, they'd been underpaid on. So it started off a lawsuit where TSG are basically suing disney to to get back the money that they see as being withheld from the company and paid from one section into the next without going into them now there's accusations flying around or lots of bad stuff for example disney obviously own lots of different subsidiaries for example fx is something they own they've got lots of different companies under their names and what aspects of the lawsuit are accusing them of is things like you will bill a subsidiary who will then invoice you a certain amount of money and you'll pay them but the amount that they're invoicing is way more than it should cost and this is simply for you to pass around money from one part of the company to another saying that you've paid for certain things from that company when really you haven't and you just move the money around so that you don't have to pay tsg back for their bonuses there was also something to do with um, HBO Max, I believe, and, and what originally happened was Avatar: The Way of Water was the one. Yeah, so the, so, so there was part of a deal where, um, when they were with Twentieth Century Fox, they made a deal, I think, with Warner Brothers that their films would debut on HBO Max, and um, but obviously yeah. Disney then bought them, but the deal was still in place. So this is why, for example, if you go on HBO Max, you can watch Avatar: The Way of Water. But if you go to Disney Plus, you can watch it as well. They're not exclusive to platforms, and they were meant to get some money from that as well, I believe. So if if say they have a licensing deal with HBO Max, you know they're the first point after the physical sale ends when it goes to streaming. So normally when a film releases, you have the theatrical release, then goes to digital, then physical media, then streaming. That last point is obviously they get paid a deal for licensing that, but with it being on both platforms. That deal for licensing, sorry, the cameras went out of focus. That deal for licensing has now gone, and yet TSG have lost out on money for that as well. So lots of things going on. 
Hopefully, I hit all those points, Greg. Have you seen? Have you noticed another one that I've missed? I've been going through it. Yeah, I've been trying to like keep up with. with the, I, I think you actually summarized that really well because I listened to a, a couple of videos on it trying to understand it um, this morning because I was like, oh, this is kind of a complicated mess. But yeah, no, no, you pretty much hit every fact. Yeah, through their audit, what they found was that TSG was owed over forty million dollars for just the three movies that they audited. But in total, they believe they're actually owed hundreds of millions of dollars in total. So Disney has been doing a lot of their tricky Hollywood accounting, um, you know, in a way that use tricky accounting to show like less profit. And so they don't have to pay out as much to others who were promised to share. And a lot of this is also echoing the type of business deals that, you know, uh, Scarlett Johansson have fought for when it came to Black Widow as well, where she was saying that because it did the day and date release and that her contract was only with getting some profit off of the theatrical release that she lost out on so much money due to that fact. And none of that was part of the negotiations and whatnot. And this is actually the same lawyer uh, that I just learned this morning that this is the, the same lawyer who's working on this case for TSG is the same one who worked on the Scarlett Johansson case. And if I'm not mistaken, that ended up ruling in her favor as well. So yeah. this is like this is what this guy specializes in. I think there was a settlement reached with that because it was very, very quick. They didn't go yeah. to court or anything. It was a case of, you know, we got a report saying that yes. ScarJo was suing them. And then it was like three or four days later that she announced that they were both working together and do, having a great time. And I think that'll probably happen in the case of TSG. Obviously, you know, the the figure you brought up before, they're investing billions into films and m- movie studios, especially Disney at the moment, who haven't exactly had a good year. A lot of their films have flopped recently, though Elemental has actually done really well. So we need to take that back. Um, But yeah, a lot yeah. of their films have flopped. So they don't really, I wouldn't ever want to see why they would want to annoy an investor who's handing out billions of dollars because... The the amount they'll have to pay out, it, apparently it's in like the tens of millions or something, might be up. But, you know, obviously there's 100 films there, so it's probably a lot more. But I, I believe they'd want to keep them on their sweet side because, I mean, this co- company could just take them to court and probably rinse them for a lot of money otherwise. So can imagine things are going to settle outside of it. It'll yeah. probably get, you know, passed off as... Oh, it was a victim of the Fox Disney deal. We just we're sorry, guys. We didn't realize. And yeah, it it's kind of a bit all over the place. So yeah, TSG Disney getting sued. Bad times. Bad times for those that Mickey Mouse. And at time with the strikes, it, it is interesting to see that this is like, because you know we have like the writers who are fighting for um, fairness pay. We have the actors who are fighting for fairness pay, and now you have a co-finance here like billions of dollars uh fighting for their fairness pay as well and i I can see this having long-term repercussions because you know like many of these studios they have co-financiers and disney will rely on that too and this can this totally impacts the level of trust that someone would have to work with and disney's already having a hard enough time with their optics and and they're the, the way they everything about Disney right now is in such flux with the, the way audiences and business people are responding to them. And this only affects it even more so. And it seems likely like all these accusations, they I, I when just hearing it, it sounds like 
TSG is probably right and probably very accurate yeah. about what's going down. And Disney withholding money like this in such a clever accounting way, it's it's going to make me, it's making me wonder, wasn't there a whistleblower situation? I believe there was like a whistle, it's coming to mind right now. There was like a whistleblower situation not long ago where someone found some accounting stuff and that got settled too. Um, it, it didn't yeah, get a court or I mean, anything, but yeah, like they found they, someone at the company found some shit and was like, wait a minute, something's wrong with the accounting here. And I feel like this will just lead to more, more people coming out, more people saying like, uh, things about Disney's handling and with their legal issues and unfair practices and whatnot. This could be pretty bad. You could say, bad. Greg, you could say, Greg, they were destroyed by greed. Remember when we oh, did that yeah. thumbnail and yeah. just, their greed's catching up with them on all sides, not paying the writers, not paying the actors, not paying the investors. Sodom, yeah? They need to go kick up the arse, and if this is what it costs, then good. They need to stop ripping people off, especially the creative people and, you know, these execs that are just screwing people over, taking their money, not paying them fairly, doing creative accounting so they don't have to pay them out. Good. These are bloody criminals. White-collar ones, but you shouldn't be stealing money off, off companies like that, Protected especially if they're given the goodwill to give you billions of dollars to make movies. You know what I mean? After TSG warned they would sue, Disney tried to use a loophole to say they could buy back rights to the movies and ignore TSG's legal claims. Oh, that's so fucked up. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. That is That's all they do, up. man. But I'll forgive Disney for everything they've done bad because they've announced that they're releasing Loki one division and Mandalorian season one and two on 4K Steelbook, so you can buy physical copies of them now. And I'm a big physical collector. Got a big shelf of yeah. literally every single Marvel movie ever, and I went back and bought the Steelbooks for them. That's buy Steelbooks separately and put put them in. I thought they were. Uh, I thought they were starting to, to to dial back physical media. I thought there was a they were going down a direction yeah. of like no, which would also affect this whole thing that TSG is talking about too. Um, but yeah, aren't they planning on not doing physical media anymore? They were, but obviously it's a way to make money, so I've never understood why they did, because idiots like me will spend, I'd spend like 45 quid on a, a limited edition steelbook for a film that I've already bought on 4K like five <laughs> times already. So idiots like me, that they get us in, and yeah, the I mean, they were selling a, a WandaVision steelbook the other week without an actual copy of the disc in it, you know what I mean? There's, there's more on collectors like myself who will just buy stuff just to have it. And yeah, um, but I, I think I've always thought physical media is a, a viable stream of revenue and I never realized what, I never could understand why they cut it off. I always thought, you know, there is, uh, it, I don't think it costs that much to print a CD these days, especially on a, a mass production line. And if you've already got the movies ready, you've already got digital copies of them, just put them out there. So what they seem to be doing is making steelbooks, um, which are obviously collector's items as well, so they can charge a bit more. And yet, hopefully, you know, we, they realize that there's money in this stuff and that they start doing that. I think uh, probably the next step is something that we we as physical media collectors have been crying out for a while, which is IMAX versions of the films. Obviously, you can get them on Disney+, Plus, but they've always kind of pay-gated it behind that. And I think that'll be the next step where they release them on 4K. And I'll have to buy all the Infinity Saga on 4K again, which I've done twice already now because I bought them all in 4K. 
and then they announced the IMAX version, so I sold them. And then I realized uh, I actually like the physical media versions better, so I bought them, and, uh, yeah, they keep swindling me out of money. But I keep handing it over, Greg. Maybe they should take the money and pay TSG. Maybe this is one big scam to finally pay TSG off. Probably, man. Poor TSG. They're billions exactly. of dollars. <laughs> they've, they've done some yeah. big movies, man. This is kind of crazy. This is nuts. I'm going to miss that logo. Sad times. But uh, I'm sure they'll be fine. I'm sure they'll, there's no way they're going to lose this case or at least not get a settlement. Yeah, if they had actual auditors come in and be like this. I mean, that could step into being a crime, you know, if they've signed contracts and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, that that wraps up the big news stories for the week. We've done some reactions. We've done some news for you guys. You've had you've added all at this podcast, and uh, we appreciate your support. As always, you can hit the thumbs up button if you've enjoyed the episode. You can also subscribe to the channel. We release these sometimes on a Monday, but we're we're, we're testing release dates, but uh, no later than a Tuesday at the moment. And yeah, thanks thanks for rocking with us, guys. If you want to listen to us on the go, we're on Spotify, Amazon Podcasts. Apple Podcasts as well. Greg, is there any final words that you have? Final, final words. No, I appreciate you all bearing with me on this very off day. And uh, it's the day after the Hurricane Hillary. And uh, uh, the internet didn't go out once. I'm happy about that, man. (laughs) I'm happy about that. That's good. You have no idea what it was like dealing with. People were treating it like it was the the end of the world i went to the store on saturday and and everything was just like bought out uh, everything Every, everyone thought it was going to be the most nightmarish situation everything that i am recording this through is all plugged into a generator <laughs> right now and when i was filming ahsoka i had a earthquake that happened while i was filmed it was a hurricane and an earthquake at the same time so it's nice to just kind of have a normal monday right now so thank you for you guys being here to help me have a normal monday really appreciate it it's tuesday when this goes out and we might all be dead so thanks oh, yeah, yeah. for at least having this one day with us guys hope you enjoy your soak i hope <laughs> we've hyped you up for what's coming down the line and uh yeah disney you need it i hope you have i hope you've sent that check out mate because i'll be soon your next for all the money you owe me for those positive reviews when i was shilling so yeah, thanks guys, uh, and I'll see you next time. Any last final words, Greg? No, right. Right. Well, final lot, final guys. words to finalize final your words, words here. <laughs> no, no, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good, man. Thank you guys for everything. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you, heavy spoiler community. <laughs>